Good morning, church. Uh, I'm glad to be able to share God's word with you today. We're going to be in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to do a special focus on verses 37 and 39. Um, I just want to say I miss you guys. I, I miss hanging out with you and, I don't know, joking around and uh, encouraging one another. And I'm just looking forward to when we can uh, be together. But until then, you know, we'll keep focusing on God's word um, together, although we can't be physically in the same spot. So uh, one of my favorite commercials is, uh, is from Snickers. And so they'll, have a, they'll show somebody essentially acting grumpy, acting crazy, and then uh, somebody will give them a Snickers, and it'll change them into a person that is more agreeable. Um, and basically, it's pointing to the fact that when you're hungry, uh, sometimes you act a little crazy. Uh, you, you act a little uh, um, out of the ordinary, uh, a little more grumpy. And it's really interesting. There's a story in the scripture that illustrates that fact. It's in Numbers chapter 20. And I mean, we don't have to go there, but I just want to give you a, a quick summary. So in Numbers chapter 20, God's people, the Israelites, they had been delivered from Egypt, and they were on the way to the promised land. And while they were walking through what was essentially a desert, they came to the point where like, they didn't have any water. And so they started to panic. They started to, to grumble, and they started to get angry at their leaders, at, at Moses and Aaron. And they were grumbling, and they were saying, did you lead us out here to die? Like, what are you doing? You, you are a horrible leader. This is crazy. Because they are thirsty and they're, they're getting in a, in a kind of a panicky state. And so Moses and Aaron, they go to the Lord. They're like, Lord, these people are hungry. They're angry at, at us. They're angry at you. What do you want me to do? And the Lord says, I'm going to provide for my people. The way that I'm going to provide for my people is that I want you to go to a rock and I want you to speak to it. And I'm going to have water come out of the rock, which sounds crazy because you got to understand uh, it probably didn't sound too crazy from him, for him because he had just been delivered from Egypt and saw all, all God's miracles. But long story short, Moses was still angry. He was frustrated that God's people were questioning and grumbling and being angry. And so when he gets to that, that rock and he starts speaking to it, he actually hits it with his staff. Like out of anger, he has a stick and he just hits it. He's like, man, take this water. Now, out of anger... From the people's perspective, out of anger, from Moses' perspective, even so, water came out of the rock. And God provides for his people even in the midst of grumbling and sin. Now, this, this is commemorated through a celebration that in the text today, Jesus was asked. There was a celebration, a feast where they remembered how God provided for them in the wilderness, even in the midst of their sin. And they would celebrate this every, uh, every year. And Jesus was going to that festival, and that is the scene of the text today. So in John 7, verses uh, 37, it says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, 
will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you give us understanding of your word? Would you produce in us a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for what you have done and what you have revealed in your holy word? I pray that your word would do work today. Would it do work in our hearts? Would it help us to love and to believe and to trust? So do your work, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as I said, Jesus is at this festival, is at this feast, celebrating how God had provided for his people in the wilderness. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, it commemorates the period of wilderness wanderings right after the Exodus, right after they got out of Egypt. It lasted uh, for seven days, all right? Uh, It was also called the Feast of Ingathering, since it gathered the people together after the harvesting season. It was the final pilgrim feast of Israel. Pilgrim feast meaning that everybody from all over the country would go to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So the remembrance of the wilderness wanderings was considered an occasion of joy, connected to God's saving work on Israel's behalf. It was just a celebration remembering how God had provided for them in the wilderness and how he continues to provide for them now. Now, they remember how God had divinely provided for them in the past. So it's really interesting. The Old Testament always describes God's people as hard-headed and stiff-necked. When God would speak, oftentimes they would not listen. When God would tell them to turn, oftentimes they would not. But even so, even so, while they're wandering, wandering in the wilderness, God provides food from the sky. He provides water from a rock. He provides guidance in the form of a pillar of cloud and of fire. God is taking care of all of their needs as they're wandering about. And this is a pattern for us, that we would remember what God has done, how he has provided for us in the past. I think it's just a good practice to sit and recount God's provision, how he showed up over and over again. I think it's, it's a good pattern that, that we will be thanking him for provision now. You know, the Lord's Prayer, it it says, uh, asking him for daily bread so that even things that seem minuscule, the fact that we have food to eat, our natural uh, needs are provided for. That is God's provision for us. And that we are looking forward to his continued and future provision. That is what they were doing in that festival, and that is what it teaches us to do. Now, as I said, the scene of John 7 is Jesus is at this festival, and he went there to teach. He went up in secret uh, to teach people. You know, they were questioning who he was. He had some people trying to persecute him. The religious leaders all, already were, were seeking ways to, to trap him in his, in his words, to find him in some sort of, of contradiction in order to persecute him. They even, in this chapter, had sent the temple police to go and arrest him. That is the scene. Jesus is teaching at this festival. The religious leaders are angry, and people are, have all these questions about what he's saying. And at the middle point of this festival, remember it was a seven-day festival, at the middle point, Jesus began to teach publicly in the temple courts. 
Now, in verses 14 through 36, we see this pattern of misunderstanding of who Jesus is that we've seen already in the book of John. And the people and the religious leaders are asking him a series of questions to find out if he's valid. Are are you who you say you are? Why should we listen to you? You know, the first scene in verse 14 through 24, they're asking, who taught you or, or where did you go to school? Jesus' answer is, heaven. Next, they go, well, where are you from? Where did you come from? Jesus' answer is, heaven. <laughs> and then they go, well, where are, you, where are you going? Where are you going after this? Jesus' answer is, heaven. So Jesus' origin should make us listen to him. So at the time in which people at this festival, they're looking back at God's provision and they're looking forward and hope that God would continue to provide as they are searching for future guidance, hope, and provision from heaven, they had the one sent from heaven right in front of them. They're at this feast praying, singing, remembering God's provision, looking forward to the future. They're like, God, would you provide from heaven like you have provided for us in the past? And what's so crazy is that God has provided for them from heaven in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. They often missed it. They often missed it. This is an encouragement that we should look to Jesus and what has been revealed through Jesus. You know, as, as I interact with people on uh, social media, which is kind of the only interaction you get these days, uh, people are searching for ways that God is speaking. What is God saying right now? How, how can we understand what he's saying? Is he trying to speak to us in a unique way through this COVID-19? And here's something I want you to focus on. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Now get this in verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we're always searching and looking for God to speak to us in a variety of ways. But the scriptures make clear that the primary way that God speaks to us is through Jesus and what he has said and what he has done. And so we're looking from communication from God and the scriptures say to us, look to Jesus. Now in verse 37, Jesus makes this claim that all of our future hopes are found in him. It says on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, let's 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 step back. What is happening on the last day of this feast? See, this this feast or this festival, it came during the season that water was needed for crops. Now, if you're in a society that primarily relies on farming for food and for and for uh, selling, like your livelihood is dependent on if and how much it rains. And so in this moment when they're remembering how God has provided, they're saying, God, we need you to provide right now. We need you to send rain from heaven right now so that we will be able to provide for ourselves and for our family. They even had developed a ritual for this asking for water. There was a a ceremonial water pouring on this day. 
they were commemorating the provision of water in the wilderness through the rock. They said, if you provided water through a rock in the wilderness, surely you can make it rain so that we can have some food. In this moment, Jesus is claiming that he will take care of their needs like God has taken care of them. In the moment when they're saying, God, we need water. We need water so that our needs will be provided for. Jesus stands up and says, if anybody is thirsty, if anybody wants some water, come to me. Now, if this claim is true, he's saying that I will provide all of your needs, your most fundamental needs. Then if this claim is true, then we should go to him. But he says something a bit curious in verse 38. He says, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Now, there's a lot of reasons that verse sticks out to me. But he's saying, I will give you what you need in such abundance that it will be like it is coming out of you. But he says, as the scriptures say, what is he pointing to? This is really important. As we understand Jesus, Jesus is always pointing back to the Old Testament because the Old Testament is pointing to him. So if we want to understand Jesus properly, we need to read the Old Testament in light of what Jesus has said. And so when he says, as the scriptures has said, he's not simply pointing to one scripture. He's talking about this theme in the Old Testament of God's provision of water. It's this continual theme. Now listen, they and we are longing for a new type of life, a new world, if you will. Now, you might not formulate it in those words, but we experience this longing for something new, for something more perfect, when our frustrations about our current situations are revealed. Our frustrations are a way of longing for something better. Now, sometimes this life can be so frustrating that we are longing for something different in the same way that we long for a cup of water on a hot day. It's just like, oh, man, why is it like this? Is this not more pronounced now? Some of us are frustrated because we can't leave our house. Some of us are frustrated because our livelihoods are at, at stake. There's a lot of frustration because it seems like this virus is, is going here and there. And it's like, will we get it? Will our loved ones get it? it? We have this frustration. It is a longing for a new and a better type of life. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament, they describe this new life with the images of water. One of the best examples is in Ezekiel 47. He's having this vision of what this new life, this life that is not full of frustration, this life that is not full of sin, he's describing this new life in a vision. In Ezekiel 47:1, it says, Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there was water flowing from underneath the threshold of the temple toward the east. 
for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple. Now, here's what's going on. Ezekiel's having this vision of what a more perfect world would be like. And at the center of it is God's presence, God's temple. And he sees that from God's presence, from God's temple, Water is flowing out of it. Now, it's interesting what this water does. In verse 6 of Ezekiel 47, it says, He asked me, do you see this son of man? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. The river being the water that was coming from the temple. When I had returned, I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the riverbank. He said to me, this water flows out to the eastern region and goes down to Arabah. When it enters the sea, the sea of foul water, the water of the sea becomes fresh. Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the water flows, and there will be a huge number of fish because this water goes there. Since the water will become fresh, there will be life everywhere the river goes. There will be life everywhere the river goes. Listen, so he's having this vision. He was having this vision. Remember, the underlying hope is that, man, I want something new. I want a sense of refreshing. This world has been frustrating and and full of burden, and God gives him this vision to to show him what the new world, what the new life will be like. And he sees this life-giving water coming from the temple, and wherever this water is going, trees and plants are springing up. And then it even goes into, it talks about this, this, this sea that is dead. It's talking about this dead sea. Now, the dead sea has the highest salt content of any body of water. So, so things don't grow in the dead sea. And it says that the water goes to the impure sea and makes it clean. Ezekiel points to a water that comes from God that will make things grow and that will cleanse. Listen, he, he says that when the water is going out, he sees all this fruit and growth. Is this not a different, this is not different than the frustration of work that we see now? Man, I don't know about you, but sometimes work feels like, like toil, right? It's like pushing a rock up a hill. He's saying it won't be like that. The, the, the life that God provides through this new and living water is a life that makes things grow. Not only that, it says that it will cleanse. It makes the dead sea water fresh, bringing forth life. This vision is pointing to the fact that God will provide the life-giving water. The word, the world that is stunted and dirty will be fixed. Now again, Jesus is saying, I will give you water as the scriptures say. So this theme he's saying is fulfilled in me. In the book of Zechariah, it says it more succinctly. In Zechariah 13, 1, it says, on that day, the day of the new creation, the day of the new life, on that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes we get uh, a little light when we talk about sin. We talk about sin as if it's simply a mistake. But the fact is that the, the wrongdoings that we have done, the things that, we, that go on in our hearts, we usually hide those from people, right? 
We don't just start announcing all the wrong things that we've done. If it was merely a mistake, I'd be like, oops. But we know in our hearts it's not a mistake because we hide it. Right? Just like if you're, if you're, if you're uh, there's parts of your house that are really dirty, you, when your guests come over, you say, you probably shouldn't go over there because of shame and embarrassment. In a similar way, the sins and the, the impurities that dwell within us, we hide, we, we box them up, and we shield uh, the, the world from those parts because of their foulness and their impurity. And the Lord is saying, I will cleanse you with a heavenly water. Now, let's go back to the text. Now, listen, I, I know we we're having to put our thinking caps on, but I want us to understand what Jesus is saying. In verse 37, it says that he said this about the Spirit. So remember, he's saying, I will give you this water that will bring about refreshing and newness. But then he says that this water that I'm talking about is the Spirit of God. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Listen, this is saying those who would believe and follow Jesus would get the life-giving spirit, the spirit that makes things grow, the spirit that cleanses, the, the spirit that, that, that gives us the newness of life, that Jesus would give us this by his glorification. So what does it mean for Jesus to be glorified? I mean, this is shorthand for his death and his resurrection. See, Jesus died in our place. His glory was shown in the fact that he did not have to die. He, like, he was powerful enough to, to avoid death, but he submitted to beatings and the death on the cross, and in that there is glory. We can see the beauty of a suffering for someone else. Jesus laid down his power to suffer and die in our place. We can see his glory in the fact that he rose from the dead. He defeated death and rose from the dead in glory. When he rose from the dead and his disciples saw him, they bowed down and they worshiped because they said, this man has defeated death. Not only that, the scriptures teach us, that after he rose from the dead, that he actually rose into heaven and sat at the right hand of God far above every spiritual power. And all of these accomplishments, all of these displays of glory give us access to God's very spirit. So let's, let's think about his, his statement again. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so the question, dear friends, is this. Who needs provision? Where can we have our deepest needs met? The question, my friends, is who needs guidance? Where can we have a sure answer and a sure direction given to us? Who needs cleansing? Where can we find that which will wash away our guilt and our shame? Who wants to be a source of help and cleansing for others? Who will teach us how to do this? Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I will give you the spirit who will teach you to do these things. 
Now, this, this chapter is just laden with all of these references back to the Old Testament. And so I just want to make one more connection for you, all right? What is the connection explicitly between, between Christ and the story of God's provision in the wilderness? In 1 Corinthians 10.4, it says, For they, the people of God in the wilderness, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So the New Testament makes a direct correlation that the rock that water came out in the wilderness, that that rock was Christ. Now let's, let's slow down and listen for a minute. Jesus was the rock that was hit. Listen, in the story, the people were grumbling at God, saying, you have left us, you don't provide for us. Why have you led us to this place? We can't trust in you. Then Moses got frustrated at them and frustrated at God. Like, God, why would you give me these jacked up people who are so frustrated and they're hating all the time? And so they struck the rock and dishonored God. Listen, they assaulted the very source of their provision, yet God still gave them water. The reality is this, is that Jesus was struck by our sin, and out of him, God gives us life through the Spirit. His death on the cross was in response to our grumblings against God through our disobedience. When we look at God's commands and we know the things we ought to do, yet we choose the things that we know are wrong. We are grumbling against God, saying, man, your way is not really the good way. It won't provide for our needs, so I need to, to devise another way to do it. And when we do that, we dishonor God. That dishonor is most clearly seen in the cross of Christ. Our inner disobedience, our outward actions of anger against others, that is us striking the rock who is Christ. Now, beloved, God did not give us what our sins deserve. The striking of Jesus through the cross opened up God's provision for us. Beloved, they got water, but we get the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this, that, that he says, like, what, what, what do we need to do to get the Spirit? What do we need to do? He says, all those who would believe in me. Repentance and belief in Jesus gives you access to God's very Spirit. And through the Spirit come manifold blessings. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding that we could understand who God is, that we could understand who we are, that we could understand how the world works, that when we open the scripture, we would have understanding. Understanding is given to us by the Spirit. And beloved, not only understanding, comfort. In those moments when I feel low, in those moments where I'm doubting God's goodness, in those moments where very real suffering is happening to me. 
God's spirit, the life-giving spirit, the spirit that is represented by quenching of thirst comes to me and restores me and comforts me, reminding me that God is for me, assuring me that the cross of Christ is for me. God's spirit brings comfort. Not only this, the scriptures say that God's spirit brings fruit. The fruit which, which works itself out in love and good deeds is goodness and joy and peace and gentleness. Oh, beloved, when I look at myself, I, I'm so frustrated with myself at times because things, you know, when you, you say things that, that come out your mouth and you immediately want to take them back because you know they were hurtful, God's spirit produces good fruit in us. Love, joy, peace. Not only that, God's spirit gives us gifts, gifts that work out to love and serve our neighbor. Some of the gifts would be showing mercy or, or teaching or, or giving. There are so many different things that the Spirit gives us access to. But the point of this passage is this. You can't earn the Spirit. God doesn't give the Spirit because you were awesome. The point of this passage is that you are the one who struck the rock, which is Christ. And through that, through Jesus' suffering, through his death and his resurrection, he gives us access to the Spirit. We come to Jesus by faith, and he gives us the Spirit, the source of life that we could taste of the better and the good life to come right now. And that is given to us by and through faith. So here's where the rubber meets the road. When you feel like you're lacking understanding or lacking comfort, lacking the fruit that works itself out and good works, lacking gifts, the answer is not work really hard. The answer is come to the one who gives the water, Jesus. That by my confession in him, by my belief in his death and resurrection, he generously gives me the spirit. And we need the spirit's comfort and guidance and understanding and fruit and gift in this day. And our God is generous enough that if we would come, confess our sins, believe in him, he will give us of his very spirit. Our God provides for us despite our obedience out of his great love for us. And that is a reason to have comfort and to celebrate and to rejoice. That as we look around at what seems to be a land of frustration and death that God would provide for us through Jesus, life-giving water. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to suffer and die in our place, and he rose 
from the dead, and he seats uh, on a throne in heaven above every authority, and he generously gives us the Spirit. Lord, I pray that if those who are listening who don't feel the benefits of the Spirit, that you in your generosity would pour out the Holy Spirit on them. Empower us and comfort us. In Jesus' name, amen.